Hi, I'm your host, Amelia Roon, and you're listening to Heartful, Practices to Awaken the Heart. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of Heartful. Today, I wanted to share with you why I started this podcast, uh, really my intention, and a little bit of what you can expect. So as many of you may know, I gave birth to our firstborn, our baby boy Leon, in May of last year. And like pretty much anyone who has had a baby will say, It completely restructures your whole world, your days, your nights, your priorities, and it also orients your heart in a way that, at least for me, feels pretty exclusive. It feels pretty all-consuming. I mean, I am just now, after nine months, feeling like I have the ability to give my dog the attention he deserves again. And don't even get me started on my husband because we are not quite there yet. So I'm paying attention to how my heart expands and the ebb and flow of what I'm able to give attention and energy to. And I'm learning to trust. I'm learning to trust my son and to trust this whole process of parenthood. And one thing that's been very strong in me, especially with the limited hours I have available to work, is that I want to be able to be and create in this world in a way that's not only true to who I am, but also useful in some way, shape, or form for others. There is so much divisiveness in the world. I think we can all agree that this is true now um, more than any time before, especially in our lifetimes. And I've been feeling called to share these teachings that can help us remember our individual wholeness and our shared humanity. I think of a story that I heard in middle school or high school of what's known as the Christmas truces of the First World War. So this is only five months into the war and in the week leading up to December 25th. And French, German, and British soldiers, so both sides of the war, started to cross trenches to exchange seasonal greetings with each other. So in some areas, men ventured into no man's land on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to mingle and exchange food and souvenirs, and some even played soccer together. So these Christmas truces were particularly significant because of the level of participation. Accounts from the Times suggest it was almost everybody fraternizing as if they were just one. So we can sense the peace that was possible. The touching of humanity that occurred even in the midst of the chaos and the suffering of the war. Just as the soldiers knew that, somewhere deep down, we know that too. We know that is possible and we sense that we're all connected to each other. We have more in common than our differences. So I believe when times are Especially divisive, there's just so much energy circulating. And although this can feel completely chaotic at times, our potential for awakening is so much greater because we're so far from our nature. 
a little introspection, meditation, spiritual practice can really go a long way. Just a little bit can help us realize we're really living at cross purposes with our nature. And it can help us recognize amidst the chaos, amidst the uncertainty and all the collective pain, it can help us recognize what is truly important both on a societal level and individually. So on a personal level, there are many layers of our identities that we may start to peel away as we continue on our unique paths. These are areas of our lives where separate from society, we too may not be living in alignment with our own hearts. So spirituality and meditation in our Western culture is also often categorized exclusively with self-care. You know, maybe the 10 minute morning meditation is on your list right next to oil pulling, a yoga flow, a bulletproof coffee, and a ginger shot. And while yes, I am into all of those things, they're wonderful. Um, and I also 100% agree that meditation is such self-care. Yes. And I'm so happy to see it becoming mainstream and finding its way into so many people's lives. Uh, even in the podcast and app space, there's so many ways people can meditate and methods of holding themselves accountable and building community around meditation. And it is so wonderful. And yet the essence of meditation in this context of meditation being a part of our lives in this capacity as something to check off our lists and that we do in order to feel better, it's incomplete. It doesn't tell the whole story. The spiritual path is full of wonder and joy. It can also be full of raw emotions and denial and doubt and rebuilding as we find our way in this world a little differently than before. And often we go through the same process many, many times. You'll likely hear me telling some of my own stories on this podcast, and I guarantee there will be many more stories and learnings as the years go on. And that is because we are always evolving. We humans are always finding ourselves in new positions, experiencing new challenges, new joys, new growth edges, really transitions. From one circumstance to another, life is just a series of transition. And there's beauty in this that we're never done. And this is Julian of Norwich. And he writes, If there be anywhere on earth a lover of God who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it, for it was not shown to me. But this was shown, that in falling and rising again, we are always kept in that same precious love. And one thing that also happens with spiritual practice is we start to deepen the relationships around us. Our capacity for loving and communicating expands. We more easily tap into our patience and our understanding and really our compassion for others and for others' suffering. And life really does become richer as a result. We start to feel more connected, more one with the world around us, and really more able to meet our lives with openness, with ease, and with joy. So in a world where news and even social media can really make us feel like there's a bad other, 
we, if we're not mindful, we can get stuck in othering. And othering does a few things, and it's really scary. When we're stuck in othering, we're really stuck in this us versus them mentality. And this affirms our own beliefs, and it makes the other wrong. And this has the effect of closing any part of us that would be open to communicating with the other to find some common ground. So in effect, we stop listening to each other. We stop being here for one another, for our neighbors, for our family members, even for some of our friends. We forget our shared belonging. And if you've been affected by this in the last year, which I know we all have in some way, you might reflect on whether you feel more or less connected to your neighbors, to your community. I know a lot of people who, reflecting on this, feel a significant drop in their experience of community, both as a result of everything going on in the world and also the isolation. And we also resonate with each other. We pick up feelings from other people. You know, the nervous system of our bodies is actually tuned into each other. This is called limbic resonance. The fear that's being brought into our culture over the last year, and this is true whether we watch the news or not, it resonates. It resonates with that primitive part of everyone's brain. And it can't not because we're wired together. So we're not feeling as connected. We might even feel blocked by frustration or even anger or rage over our differences. We might even feel stuck in depression or loneliness. And for many of us, we may even have lost interest in meeting other people, forgetting the joy of belonging and the joy of community. There's a lot of suffering right now. So the invitation here is simply to notice, to notice how your worldview might have changed over the last year. Einstein says, the most important question a person can ask is, is the world a friendly place? Is the world a friendly place? And what this question is really asking is whether we intuit a oneness or a goodness in our perception of the outside world. So what we're doing here together and practicing is in part, we're rewiring the brain. We're reorienting the hearts, however you like to think about it, towards the seeds of joy, of compassion, of love, of community, kindness, All of these beautiful seeds that have been planted in our hearts, we're watering them so that they can grow and continue to serve us, to shape our worldview and help us act our purest intention to live from the truth of who we are. And this is a story from a long time ago with a king who wanted to be sure that there was an heir to his kingdom. He didn't have any children and he was growing old, but since he was a democratic kind of guy, he didn't want to just go and pick somebody. So he let it be known that anybody who wanted the job could come to the kingdom. 
and then in order to make it very equal. Before they were to come up and be interviewed for the job, he provided a beautiful room of wardrobes and things for them to prepare so people could wear whatever they wanted to wear and this was so that nobody was going to show up as less than anybody else. So the great day arrives and this huge stream of people come through the gates of the kingdom, excited by the idea of becoming the new king or queen. The king and his minister were waiting patiently in the upper chambers as the people enjoyed the bathhouses, got perfumed up and in wardrobe, and of course they were supplied with all the food and everything they could want. So people are milling around, they're flirting, they're admiring themselves, they're having a great time enjoying puzzles and games, and maybe even getting a little competitive, criticizing each other a little bit. And anyway, hours go by. The king and the minister began to wonder why nobody was coming up, but they could hear the sounds of people having fun, fighting and playing. And then finally it got quiet. So the king sent the minister down to see what was going on, and then he came back. He reported sadly that everybody had left, and they took with them all the food and the jewelry and the clothing. They were full, they were tired, and they forgot why they came. And that's the story. And this is the story of really all of us forgetting why we're here every day, probably every hour. And maybe we feel that we've never known. This is the story of Glenda, who is a physician, and her husband died in an auto accident. Still suffering from recurring nightmares from the accident, Glenda requested to meet with the heart transplant recipient. Dr. Pearsall describes her meeting in a hospital chapel, and Glenda's plea to place her hand on the young man's chest, hoping to feel her husband's heart. As Glenda sends her love to her husband, she tells him that everything is copacetic. Everything is copacetic. This was their word. It was kind of a signal. They used it particularly after an argument so that when they made up, they knew everything was okay. Surprised to hear this word, the young man's mother relates how her son began using this word immediately following his heart transplant. Amazed at this coincidence, she described how her son, a former vegetarian, now also loves meat and has replaced his love for heavy metal music with rock and roll oldies. Glenda immediately responds that her husband loved meat and played in a Motown band. So stories like this, immediately we just know, right? We just know that there is something deeper, something mystical something bigger than us. And we're here. We take our seat in the midst of all this. We still go grocery shopping. We still get dressed in the morning. We still pay our bills and walk the dog and file our taxes. And yet, deep down, there's this divinity that runs through all of us. It's part of our DNA that we can tap into. It's like the saying by Ram Dass, which I've always loved, You need to remember your Buddha nature and your social security number. We have to hold both in our hearts. 
So there's an inner knowing that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I want to say here too that this phrase, spiritual beings having a human experience, it is used a lot. And it is so important and it's so absolutely true, yes. And yet, I want to draw attention to what I believe is the most important word in that sentence. And it's not the word spiritual. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is our invitation. We're spiritual beings and yet we're here. We're here in these human suits. We have human needs and human desires and human egoic patterns and human emotions. And our purpose in recognizing and becoming in touch with our spirituality isn't to supersede or transcend all that. Quite the opposite. Spiritual practice helps us turn towards our human challenges. It helps us have tea with Mara, as the Buddha would describe. It helps us accept the very many things which shape our hearts and shape our characters and make us who we are. We become more aware, more in touch with who we really are without pushing away. It's inclusive. So the invitation is to use our spiritual awareness to experience this human life more fully. In our challenging moments, our growth edges, these are the opportunities where we have the greatest capacity to grow. And unsurprisingly, these are also the moments where we most commonly shut down and turn away. It takes a courageous heart to turn towards our suffering. And it also takes self-compassion. As Srimadi asks, can we make our hell our sacred moment? Can we make our hell our sacred moment? By turning towards our suffering, we expand our capacity to be with difficult emotions and challenging circumstances. Yes, and still that's only part of the story. We expand our capacity to be with and our feelings inform us of something that's important to us. They help us respond wisely. No feeling is final. It is always guiding us to some greater understanding. So I'll tell you a personal story. I was a law student for four years, both in the UK and here where I am now in Austin, Texas. And I started to realize that this wasn't right for me, that this wasn't my path. And at first, my biggest challenge was my ego you know, shedding this great big thing that had been my identity for seemingly so long, pretty much all of my adult life. And second was the expectation. It felt like society, friends, parents, professors, it felt like everyone expected me to keep dedicating myself and to keep doing this thing. And for a while, I was really stuck in this duality. I pushed away my feelings. When they would come up, I would eat. Um, I very much um, had an overeating problem. I would drink and I would take Adderall to act and be okay so that I could have things be and stay the way I thought they should be or how they had to be. Afraid of telling my parents of what I would do next. And ultimately, I have never felt so alone in my whole life. I've never felt so disconnected from myself and 
I was really denying a huge part of myself. So we don't win when we ignore our feelings. Opening to feelings, you know, my feelings at the time, the guilt, the shame, the deficiency, the confusion, the anger, the sadness, the sorrow, the helplessness, the loneliness, the regret, it was all there. And it was very difficult to intentionally turn toward it. And yet, the turning towards was my first step. That was the first step towards freedom. Through the practice of mindfulness, I was able to heal my wounds. I was able to forgive myself and to hold myself in compassion. And afterwards, I was able to make decisions that felt right for me. And the anger, the confusion, the guilt, my capacity to be with all of that allowed me then to be with the joy, the passion, and really the newfound excitement for my life, for living a life true to who I really am. And freedom of the heart really is the ability to be with what is. So one of the ways that we cultivate this is learning to befriend our inner experience. And it's not just setting the intention. It's really a systematic means of bringing attention to our experience with kindness. And simultaneously, we keep our eyes out for the ways we can get caught. You know, in judgment, striving, aversion, doubt. And we'll talk about all of these in the next few episodes. So really, there are so many beautiful ways that we can practice being more embodied and more present. And there's so many different topics that we're going to dive into together. And all of these topics have the ability to impact our lives. And that is the gift that I wish to offer. These practices that awaken the heart so that we can touch true freedom. And the knowing that each day we begin again. That perfection in action or even our ideas of enlightenment, they aren't the expectation. They aren't the goal. In May of 1998 at Spirit Rock, um, a large benefit was hosted for the medical care of Ramdas who had suffered a major stroke the year before. After almost a year of rehab, Ramdas was able to talk, although haltingly, and he still groped for words. And yet he asked for, at the end of the day, for his wheelchair to be placed on the stage for him to speak. And this is what he said. For years I practiced as a karma yogi, the path of service. I wrote books about learning to serve, about how to help others. Now it's reversed. I need people to help me get up and put me to bed. Others feed me and wash my bottom. And I can tell you, it's harder to be the one who's helped than the helper. But this is just another stage. It feels like I died and have been reborn over and over. In the 60s, I was a professor at Harvard. And when that ended, I went out with Tim Leary spreading psychedelics. Then in the 70s, I died from that and returned from India as Baba Ramdas, the guru. Then in the 80s, my life was all about service, co-founding the Seva Foundation, building hospitals, and working with refugees and prisoners. Over all these years, I played cello, golf, drove my MG. 
Since the stroke, the car is in the driveway, the cello and golf clubs in the closet. Now, if I think I'm the guy who can't play cello or drive or work in India, I would feel terribly sorry for myself. But I'm not him. During the stroke, I died again. And now I have a new life in a disabled body. This is where I am. You've got to be here now. You've got to take the curriculum. So we can sense that life is always changing. The nature of our reality can shift at any moment and our practice is to be with that. At the end of the day, we are all human. We all face our individual challenges. And what's true underneath it all as well is that we all wish to be loved. We all wish to be loved. So this is what I leave you with today. This is a poem by Hafiz. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course you do not do this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. Still though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that's always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that's always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? So thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Heartful. I look very much forward to continuing this journey with you. And I thank you greatly for letting me be a part of your life and your day today. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Heartful. If you enjoyed the show, which I hope you did, please rate, share, and subscribe so that I can reach more people. And if you'd like to visit the show notes or make a donation to help me cover my production costs, please visit heartfulpodcast.com.